0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. How are we all doing? We're doing good? Yeah, some of you are doing good. Some of you were just involved in conversation with your neighbor, which I understand. You're an amazing bunch of people. How are we doing? We all right? It's good. It's great to have you here today. Great to be with you. If you haven't met yet, uh, my name is Jono, and, and uh, hopefully you're already feeling well and truly welcome to church. But if you're not, just one more for good measure, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. And you're in church, uh, whether it's your first time or whether you've been coming for a hundred years, in which case we should celebrate your birthday because that's quite a milestone. Uh, but however long you've been with us, it's a great day to be in church, Yeah. It's a great day to, to come together uh, and be reminded of, of the things that matter. Uh, and if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, couple of weeks meaning like eight weeks, so really the last couple of months, uh, we've been in this series for the last uh, couple of months called, a house. Yeah, we're going to start it all over again from the top because you've forgotten, right? No, just joking, right? We've been in a series called A House of Prayer. Uh, and we've been looking at, at, at this um, reality, or we, we've been looking at why is prayer important, really? And then from there, if prayer is important, which hopefully you've been convinced that it is, how do we pray? Like, what, what does that look like? And, and to take you all the way back to the start, we started with a, a, a asking a question. The, the question we asked is, what is a house of prayer? And we looked at the story of David and of Jesus, and we looked at, at David's tabernacle, which was a tent of prayer and worship set up in the middle of ancient Israel that transformed the nation. And we, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry, which is when he comes into Jerusalem and, and, and they're throwing down uh, palm fronds and he's riding on the back of a, a colt and they're saying, you are the king. And it's this entry which kind of starts the chain of events which leads to Jesus being killed on the cross. As Jesus comes into the temple, as Jesus comes to us as humanity to tabernacle with us, transforming our access to God. That, that we could be a people who live in the intimacy that Jesus won for us. That really, if we were gonna define prayer as as any one thing, prayer is simply intimacy with God. That we do not believe that God is far away and angry, distant, hard to impress, but that God comes to us. That God made a way for us to have a relationship with him. That that we can have a, a friend that is closer than a brother that we can know Jesus, we can know God personally and intimately and and that this kind of starts as Jesus comes into the temple and he makes this statement. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're gonna read this one more time. It's, It's probably fairly familiar by now. Mark 11, verses 15 to 18, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those buying and selling there. "'He overturned the tables of the money changers "'and benches of those selling doves "'and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise "'through the temple courts. "'As he taught them, he said, "'Is it not written, "'My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, "'but you have made it a den of robbers?' "'The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this "'and began looking for a way to kill him, "'for they feared him "'because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings.' See, today to, to finish this, this series that we've been in, I wanna go back to where we started and I wanna ask the question, not what is prayer, not what is a house of prayer, but today I wanna ask the question, what do we do with our prayers? Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and, and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, for, for this moment in time as we gather together as a people, as a family and in all the different ways that we come in. God, that you are here in our midst. I pray that today, as, as we look at your word, that it would not be my ideas, it would not be me convincing us of anything, but that you would speak. God, I thank you that you've already been speaking this morning. God, I pray that today we would leave encouraged, we would leave with, with further clarity of your love for us, we would leave knowing that, that we are called, that we have the opportunity to be a part of doing something incredible with you. God, today, would, would you be glorified, would we turn our attention to you, would we know more of your love? We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so the statement that, that Jesus makes that we've been looking at, right, is my house will be called a house of prayer. And it, it's, it's been kind of the driving idea behind church for the last few months. And, and really it's gonna continue to be our, our focal theme for as long as we kind of feel like God is, is pointing our attention towards it. But, but in expressing this, we've been diving into prayer, what prayer is and, and how we can do it and, and what it might look like for us individually and corporately to be a, a people, to be a house of prayer. But it's interesting, Jesus doesn't stop there, right? He starts, my house, is it not written, my house will be a house of prayer, but but he continues, just like we we talked about in our commission series at the start of the year, that we're not called to just follow Jesus for ourselves, but actually innate to who we are, central to our faith, is we're a a missional people, that your faith is not just to make your life more comfortable, that it's not a get-rich-quick scheme just with a spiritual kind of slap of paint. But that there's something about our faith that that says, hey, when you lay your life down, you find it. That it's countercultural, that it's upside down, that it doesn't make sense. And we see all throughout Scripture that no one is ever called in by God. No one ever encounters God to not then embrace mission and, and call to be a part of what God is doing. And prayer is the same. Right, Jesus's prayer, the prayer that he teaches us, the Lord's prayer, focuses on asking the the Father that his kingdom may come and his will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. See, baked into this prayer is this idea, this understanding, this implication that there are things that we can be involved in making right. That there are things broken in the world, there are things that are not as there should be, but that we have the the opportunity to, to be a part of bringing beauty and goodness into the world. I don't know if that excites you. Maybe it daunts you a little bit. I think that's fair enough, but I think that's a compelling thing. Think, man, what are we here for? What are we about? What do we get to be a part of? We get to be a part of transforming the city that we live in, our neighborhoods, our friends, our family. And so it's, it's captured in, in the statement by Jesus, a house of prayer for all nations, and so for the next month or so, we're going to be leaning into that part of the statement, not just a house of prayer, but a house of prayer for all nations. What, what does that look like? That if we as a people are a people of prayer, a house of prayer, before we're anything else, we are sons and daughters of God. Relationship with God is our highest calling, and it is our greatest blessing. And so we embrace the intimacy that Jesus won for us. That as, as Mother Teresa said when we started this, I quoted her, we minister to Jesus primarily through worship and prayer. But, that, that as it uh, continues, to, we then continue, we go on ministering to Jesus by recognizing the face of Jesus in the faces of the poor and the lost and caring for them. Right, Mother Teresa says, to, to put that whole quote together, we minister to Jesus primarily through worship and prayer, but we go on ministering to Jesus by continuing to recognize the face of Jesus in the faces of the poor and the lost and caring for them. Right, that we are a house of prayer for all nations. And, and, and what that means is it's not just that this is a place that we gather together to pray for the nations, although that is a good thing to do, right? We do do that, but that it's bigger than that, that Jesus is establishing something that everyone, all nations will come together to pray to the one true God, that every knee will bow, that everyone will come to know that God is for them, that God loves them, right? That's the plan, that's the mission, that is heaven on earth that everyone will know that they're valuable, that everyone, that we will see fear decrease, that we will see doubt decrease, that, that things that are not the way that they should be would be made right as we embrace our identity and who Jesus made us to be. As we realize, hey, I'm actually loved. I'm actually seen. God is actually for me. As we encounter that, not just in a head knowledge, but as that lands in our heart in some sort of way, that it changes us. And as we are transformed, our communities are transformed. Right, that's, that's the plan. That's the big idea. If it's not exciting, maybe you need to find a different big idea, or maybe you just need to grasp this big idea in a different way. That actually there is hope. There is a way that the things that are not as they should be can come to be made right. That that there is a way in which the world that we live in can be better than it currently is. The question then is how? That's great. Yeah, things can be better. Awesome, let's sing Kumbaya and We Are the World and we'll all hold hands, right? Amazing, let's do that. We'll get Gal it to, to lead us in that Zoom rendition and you don't know, have flashbacks to that from our lockdown? Just me, it was a pivotal moment in my life. I was like, what is happening to the world? This is an interesting moment. Doesn't matter. <laughs> right, but how do we do that? that? The how, which is gonna be shocking, you're not gonna see this coming. We've never talked about this at all before, is we are a house of prayer for all nations. That that as David did, as Jesus showed us, that when we prioritize prayer in the church, we get the kingdom in the city. Not that when we pray, God does it all, but that prayer is an invitation to become. And and so today, what I want to look at is the join between these two ideas, the join between a house of prayer and for all nations. And to do so, I want to look at, at this passage in Mark 11 again. I want to focus on three key moments. Those moments, if you're taking notes, are figs, tears, and revolt. Is that all right? It's good, because those are the, the zaniest titles I have for you, right? Fixed tears, ego, Brett, you can see it now. Sorry, I'm blocking the little dance for you. Eh? Uh, fixed tears and revolt. So uh, scene one, if you have your Bibles, in Mark's uh, account, this, this odd thing happens in between Jesus entering Jerusalem and, and arriving at the temple. It, it, it pops up almost like an aside, almost like a, they were writing down things that were happening and they remembered, oh yeah, no, this thing happened, by the way, on the way to Jerusalem, this odd thing happened. It's kind of just thrown in there. It says this in, in Mark 11, verses 12 to 14. The next day, says, so on the way to entering Jerusalem to, to overthrow the temples and all the rest that happens, to our, to our statement, a house of prayer for all nations, it says this. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Who can relate? I'm like, yeah, my boy Jesus, he represents me. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. The other week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had equip her on right. Equip woman, equip her experience. I hope you win. It was a great time, and and so one of the things, and really, it's a bare minimum. Like I'm not um, asking for, for any kudos for that. But I was looking after the kids, which they are my kids as well. So I just want to say, like, a, again, it's not. I do look after the kids on a regular basis. It's not my one a year, John. hey, babe, you know, you go to your, uh, your your thing, and I'll look after the kids. It's this one time, right? But uh, I expect a pat on the back when you get home, right? We that's. So I'm looking after the kids. And one of my favorite things to do with the kids, one of my favorite things to do in general is to go to Rickett and Bush Market. Has anyone been there? Yeah, if you can find a park, right, that's a miracle. If you get a park, you're like, there's the will of God, we go to the market today. If you don't find a park, then the favor is not with you. Uh, or you need to look in a different place. Uh, or you can walk. Uh, anyway, so we go to the market. And, and one of my favorite things about the market is not just the variety, because there's amazing stuff that you just don't see kind of anywhere else. But one of my favorite things about the market is, is just experiencing new things that you've never seen before. And, and so we were walking through the market, and there's this stand at the market that's selling figs. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is interesting, right? Like, I'm like I, I've had figs in things before, but in this moment, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had a fig just like... On its own. Like I've never walked past a fig tree and been like, yes, please, I'll I'll have one of those. Partially, I think I have walked past fig trees, but I did learn in uni that they're like pollinated by wasps crawling inside them and dying. So I was always like, again, I'm sorry if that puts any sort of like trauma in anyone. You look it up for yourself, but maybe make sure you're getting your figs from a reputable fig vendor is all I'm saying, right? So that's just my reason for not munching on wild figs. That, and I don't think I've ever seen any. Uh, And so they've got these figs. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the, the other great thing about the market is not just the variety, it's the free samples, right? And so not only are they selling figs, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy figs because, you know, wasps and stuff, I don't know. But, but here are some free samples. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll try a free sample of figs. Yes, I will. And, and so I go and I get, you know, there's me, Ollie, and Harriet. And so I get three free samples, and, and we go over to the, the, the river, and I'm like, guys, this, this, you know, let's try this. It'll be amazing. And I eat it. And, and guys, figs are incredible. Like, they take, like, again, I've had figs in things, but I just didn't, like, they're like nature's candy. Like, figs and grapes are just God showing us that he loves us in fruit format. I'm, I'm all about it. And, and then, even better, I go to the kids, hey, do you want one? I don't know if you've seen a fig. They look weird, right? There's lots of, like, little things in there, and, like, you can believe that a wasp is caught in there and died. It's odd looking. And so, both the kids look at me, and they're like, no. I'm like, I'm not going to try and convince you because I really enjoyed my first taste. So two more for me. This is my sort of day. It was a great day is my point. <laughs> Don't go to Rickett and Bush Market and eat all the fig samples. Some of them are for me. All right. We're working something out. But my point is, is that figs taste amazing. And so I can kind of imagine for a first century Jewish peasant who lives in a culture without high fructose corn syrup, who's not just getting constant stimulation in that sort of way, how good a wild fig must have tasted. Like I can kind of, can kind of understand Jesus' excitement when he sees this fig tree in the distance. He's like, oh, this is gonna be a great snack and it's looking healthy and it's in full leaf and maybe he's approaching it and he's just tasting figs. You know that way when you're looking forward to a meal and you start tasting it before you've tasted it? He's in this sort of moment, right? And then how disappointing it would have been when he gets to the fig tree and it's got all the signs of life but, but there's no actual fruit on it. I mean, that would have been a downer. But like cursing the fig tree seems like a little bit of an overreaction, right? Like I don't want to tell Jesus how to live his life. I don't want to that would be very presumptuous given our faith. Right? Like I don't want to say, hey Jesus, you got it wrong here, but but it seems like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? It's just being hungry and then being like, all right, fig tree, since you didn't give me any fruit, you are going to die. That is your solution. And then he's going to go on and tell people that he loves them and he's here to restore creation. It just seems a bit out of step with what we know to be kind of who Jesus is. Would you agree? I mean, maybe Jesus was hangry. He was, you know, as Britt said, he was fully man, fully divine. Maybe he had low blood sugar. We've all been there, yeah. But just you become someone else. He needed a Snickers, right? We have all remember that ad, you're not you when you're hungry, right? Maybe that moment kind of opened it. If we look closer, we actually, we see that this isn't about figs. See, that, that passage, that little story before he goes into Jerusalem, it, it ends with this phrase, and the disciples heard him say it. See, that's, that's a tell. What's going on here is it's not, oh, and one day Jesus got mad at a tree and he cursed it and it was really awkward. That's not what the disciples are saying. That's not what Peter is saying through Mark in this account. It's a cue to say, hey, Jesus is embodying an illustration, this is a, a teaching moment. He's putting on a show to make a point, and the disciples see it. They recognize that Jesus is teaching them. They recognize that this is a teaching moment. They just don't know what the point is yet. Which brings us to scene two, tears. Tears. Right, we're barreling towards this, this conflict. Remember in this narrative account, right after the fig tree, Jesus goes into the temple and he, he throws the, the tables over. He has this, this moment in which he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This moment that starts the trajectory towards his death, this event that causes the, the priest to start to scheme how to kill Jesus. If this is a movie that the score is picking up, Hans Zimmer is going crazy with it, because we know Hans Zimmer is going to be, he has to be the, the guy that makes the movie to the film, right? Like, come on, you got to, some of you like, who's Hans Zimmer? Yeah. Those who got it, got it, right? It's all right. We're catering to a variety of people this morning. What I'm saying is we know we're approaching the climax of the story. Now, every good movie includes a, a flashback or two, right? Like, right when you're in the middle of kind of the, the, the climax, right when you're in the middle of the conflict, some scene that goes back in time and establishes why the conflict matters, how we came to be in this sort of moment. And so we know the conflict, we know Jesus' temple revolt, but what's the backstory? Well, it's where we started the series. But it's the triumphal entry, it's Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a small colt as people throw down palm trees and their coats to create a makershift red carpet as they shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. In Luke's account, as Jesus is going in, we have this added detail, he says this, as he approached, that's Jesus, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city on his way in, somewhere between going to Jerusalem and the fig tree, he weeps over it. Right. This is before he's, he's entered the temple, but before he's seen the travesty that's been made out of union with God. Jesus looks at the city, and he weeps, and he prays. And we read one of the prayers that he prays for Jerusalem in, in Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. See, we see as Jesus is on his way into the city to to this moment that that we've been kind of revolving around for the last couple of months, that that Jesus weeps with compassion for the city and prays his longing for restoration. And I say this because Jesus' tears and his prayer, they show us his motivation. The theologian Oscar Romero says, There are some things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. Jesus is looking at Jerusalem through eyes that are cried. He weeps with compassion for the city, and then he goes in to reform the temple, to lead a revolt, to bring back prayer, to reestablish what should be a house of prayer for all nations. Which brings us to scene three, the revolt upon reaching the temple, Jesus sees what's been happening and he, he begins to throw over tables and, and spill cash registers across the floor and, and he's kicking over dove cages and feathers are going everywhere and it's a, it, he's got a a shift whip. Like it's, when you're reading the Bible and you're trying to kind of bring together Jesus who is loving and kind and compassionate and this moment, it's a bit jarring. Like what's, like again, is, you know, he's, he's really angry about food He's weeping over a city, and, and then he's seeming to have like a holy tantrum. Is he just hungry? <laughs> like, what is going on in this moment? Like, what, what is Jesus doing? What, what, is Jesus, what is God so worked up about that he would be throwing things over in the temple like this? Well, by modern estimates, a dove outside the temple would have cost about six cents. But inside the temple where, where they're selling them, the place that Jesus messes it up, they're, they're selling them for about 75 cents. Now again, like I didn't do great at maths in high school, but that's a pretty big difference, yeah? And, and not only that, you couldn't buy your dove for six cents outside of the temple and take it in because they would check you on the door and, and you couldn't, the only way you could buy in the temple was with this, the sanctuary shekel, a special type of currency. And so you'd also have to go through a currency exchange rate to try and get the currency to even be able to buy the sacrifice in the first place. See, what, what I'm saying is they are ripping people off. But not only are they ripping people off, they are ripping people off who are trying to buy, who are trying to purchase forgiveness. They're trying to find meaning, they're trying to find peace, they're trying to find love and these people are taking advantage of it. And, and, and in particular, the people that they are taking advantage of, this is all happening in this part of the temple which is known as the court of the Gentiles. It's, it's the part of the temple, it's called this because it's the only part of the temple that anyone not from the nation of Israel was allowed into. If you're not of the chosen race, your worship ends here in the equivalent of the cheap seats. And, and the only place of prayer for Gentiles has been turned into the, the equivalent of something like a shopping mall. And, and so Jesus walks into this, this moment and he, and he overthrows it. He makes a mess of it. He disrupts this, this system and he explains his actions. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it. A den of robbers, are like, Jono. We know you've said it like 10 times already. If there's one thing we remember today it's that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, right? I hope you remember that. But, but what Jesus is doing here is these are actually borrowed words. If you see on the screen behind me, the, the first bit where he says, My house will be called a house of prayer, that's Isaiah 56. He's borrowing from Isaiah 56, which, which is a temple, uh, sorry, a chapter in which Isaiah talks about how the temple is for the eunuch and the foreigner and the stranger. It, it concludes by saying these, meaning the, temp, uh, the eunuch, the foreigner, and the stranger, the outcast, the people on the outside of society, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. That's what Jesus is referencing. And then he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. Here, Jesus is quoting Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah's whole thing is, hey, people of Israel, you are not worshiping God in the way that you should be. You are not being faithful to God in the way that you should be. You are ignoring those on the outside. You are ignoring the destitute. You are not, hey, come back to God because God will be forgiven. And so Jeremiah says these exact same words. You have made it a den of robbers standing in the exact same place as Jesus centuries earlier. In the same temple, on the same steps, Jeremiah 7, we read, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, concludes, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching declares the Lord see what Jesus is doing is he's saying these two things he's bringing these statements together and he's saying it to the priests right like we read this we're like oh those are cool word pictures Jesus all right we don't get the references but these priests, he's he's quoting the prophets to these priests who know the prophets like the back of their hands. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. As soon as he says it, when Jesus makes these shorthand references to this audience, that they know exactly what he's saying, that Jesus is saying there is no house of prayer that is not equally a house of action, a house of love, or a house of justice. And to be fair, the priests are probably pretty confused because things look like they're going well. I mean, the temple looks like it's great. They're in a hostile culture. They are living in the middle of Roman occupation, and they've managed to keep the temple doors open. Like, that's not a given that that would happen. But, but even more than that, the, the giving numbers are strong. Attendance is even better. They're gathering every Sabbath. They're praying three times a day. Passover services, are standing room only, and this is the beginning of Passover week. Like, church is pumping. The priests arrived at the temple that day, patting themselves on the back, being like, God must love us today. We are smashing this priest thing. The fig tree, it's leafy. It, It looks healthy. There's just one problem. There's no fruit. This is meant to be a place of blessing for the eunuchs and the foreigner, for the widow and the orphan, for the lame and the prisoners. And so Jesus puts it right. And the encounter in Matthew, it shows it to us most clearly. Matthew 21 says, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And then it says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Okay, cool. Jesus does that. Like, it's kind of one of his things. It's a nice thing to do, I guess. What's the the big deal? See, Jesus doesn't just make a mess of the temple market. Jesus makes a mess of the temple structure. He brings the blind and the lame in with him. The blind and the lame, people who historically weren't allowed to even cross the front door of the temple because their physical problems, their physical infirmities represented to the culture that they had some sort of sin issue in their life or in their family's life. And this was a proof that they were a bad person and they should not be allowed in the temple. He brings these people inside the temple with him. And then once they're within the temple, what does he do? He heals them. He brings them into the very presence of God where they're told that they don't belong and he heals them, which means that the priests who have barred them from coming into the temple their entire life are now in a predicament. Like, well, I wasn't gonna let you in because you were blind and lame, but between you coming in and now, something changed and I can't really keep you out anymore because the thing that I thought that I could judge you by has now been, Jesus is saying the, the illness that you misdiagnosed is spiritual, I took care of that. Jesus is saying, she's welcome in my father's house. He is welcome in my father's house. Jesus isn't just letting some dubs free. He's he's kicking down the gates that divided people from God and people groups from one another. But what's amazing is Jesus doesn't just do this in the temple. It's not just in this one moment. Mark's gospel explains that while Jesus was doing all of this during the final week of his life, he was staying in, in the city of Bethany. But more specifically, we read that he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of Simon the leper in Mark 14. The thing to, to notice there is not that he was reclining. Well, that, that's a good way to sit, you know. You can live like Jesus. Why are you reclining all the time? Just trying to be like Jesus. Just get him a recline on. Just feel it out. Just get a little bit lower in your seat. Just get comfy. Yeah, that's right. Assume Jesus' seated position. But not too comfy, because I do want you to pay attention. It's not that he was reclining, but it's where he was staying, he was staying at the house of Simon the leper. Jesus was, was eating his meals and laying his head at night and, and having his morning coffee. I assume that he was having coffee because that is the drink of the Lord. Uh, in the final week of his life, at the home of Simon the leper. Right? And, and what that means is to enter the home of a leper, to, to eat at their table, to share their company, would have made Jesus, according to Levitical custom, ceremonially unclean. See, the the deal here is is this is Passover week, and if there is anything that a rabbi cannot be during Passover, it's unclean, right? They need to be clean to represent the people to God. See, Jesus isn't just inviting the outsiders into the temple. He is taking the temple to the outsiders. He's saying you do not need to come just to this one special place to find God. If you do not think that you fit in, I will go so far to show you the, the Father's love that I will take the temple to you. I will bring it to you. And what Jesus started with a temple cleansing, he finished seven days later at his crucifixion. When the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, the Holy of Holies curtain, the, the high priest only once a year curtain, the symbolism was obvious to everyone in that culture. Everyone is welcome. And it's not after you, you're healed. It's not after you have it sorted out. It's not after you land it. It's not after your life looks pretty. It is in your current condition, just as you are, because it is the Father's welcome that heals you and not the other way around. See, Jesus turned the temple upside down. He brings life, He brings fruit to the tree in actions motivated by love. It's figs, tears, and revolt, it's prayer and action. It's a house of prayer for all nations. And the thing is, is that he calls us to do the same. Gerald Sitzer says, without work, prayer becomes rote, vacuous, and irrelevant, an empty discipline that shows little evidence of a deep concern in the world. See, this is what we've been talking about as, as prayer is as being both doing what we can and asking God to do what we can't. You know, I, I love how Tyler Staden puts it. He says, prayer, prayer is love combined with humility. It's loving someone enough to do all that you can to help them in all the ways that you can, and it's being humble enough to say, God, I cannot do everything on my own. I cannot fix all that is wrong and broken with the world on my own. God, would you do what I cannot do? This is why I love Christians Against Poverty. Right, Christians Against Poverty is an organization who we are partnering with to open a debt center here in Christchurch to help people who are trapped in poverty. Because there's practical application, it's, there's involvement, there's a practical thing to do. But, but within the organization, there's also an intentional space for prayer. I love the fact that every day they gather to pray either for their clients or their centers or they pray for the churches they're partnered with. But it's, it's a great example of prayer and action. It's not, God, would you please change the world and then doing nothing about it? And it's not, God, hey, sit back. I got this. I'm going to change the world on my own and burning up spectacularly. God, it's, God, I'm going to do all that I can. And with all of the things that I cannot do, would you do what you can do? And what I love about this is it's not something that we just sit back and watch, right? We are bringing Christians Against Poverty into our church for you to partner with. Right, they're going to reach this. People are going to be helped in the city, whether we're a part of it or not. The opportunity is for us to be involved in the helping. It's for us to put some action to our prayer, to say, God, would your kingdom come here in Ōtotahi, here in Christchurch as it is in heaven, and then to act out that prayer. God, I'm going to do what I can to bring something of your kingdom to pass here on earth. To say, God, would you help the people who need help? Would you let the ones who think that they are not loved know that they are loved? And then to go about showing them that love. And so I want to encourage you. You can be involved. Talk to Nat after the service at the help desk. You'll see the stand there. We've got our launch service on the 21st of May. Maybe even just start praying about it. How can I be involved with this? There's a bunch of different ways and spaces. I mentioned last week that, and I'm almost done, that that when Jesus was famously asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, in, in doing so, in Matthew 22, Jesus took, takes the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, which is the most famous commandment in Hebrew history to that point, And he inseparably, inseparably binds it to Leviticus 19.18, which is an often overlooked commandment about equal devotion to loving your neighbor. See, in this moment of joining these two things together, Jesus is saying that you cannot separate loving God from loving people. That the way that we live out our love for God is often expressed in loving people, prayer, and action. And here's the thought I want to finish with it's like the breath of the church. We inhale and we exhale, prayer and action. We breathe in, and we breathe out. And do you know what? You can't do just one. And in fact, one naturally leads to the other just try breathing out without breathing in or try breathing in without breathing out don't do it now I don't want anyone to faint in church right faint on your own time in a medically supervised environment but we all know the feeling you can only breathe in for so long before you feel compelled within your body to do what to breathe out and you can only breathe out for so long before you desperately need to do what to breathe in Prayer and action—they're two sides of the same coin. It—it it doesn't work just one or the other. We need both. And a church that's alive is a church that is breathing. A person of faith that alive is alive is a person that is breathing. That—that that we inhale with prayer. We pray, Kingdom come, and then we exhale with action, bringing the kingdom in the ways that we can. And I want to acknowledge there are times in which we need to step back and heal for whatever reason. We need to lie down and rest. We need to catch our breath. We need to take some really big breaths in. And that's good. But I'd ask you to look at yourself and ask, am I healing or am I healed? Because if you're healed, the invitation of Jesus is to help, to get out of bed and to help others. Because the reality is, is there is a danger in staying in bed. What was helpful can become unhelpful. We see this in the Bible to the people of Israel. Egypt was a promise. It was a reprieve. It was a healing. It was a a place of promise. They were dying of hunger, and Joseph had a place for them. So they went to Egypt, and they survived the famine. They thrived. But over time, something changed. What was a place of promise became a prison that Moses needed to deliver the people from. The very same place that Joseph led them into, which was a place of help and healing, over time became a prison. See, the difference was time. I I think if you're healed and you stay resting, your rest can become a prison. We we see this practically, a sick person in bed is good, but, but a healthy person in bed for too long will get sick. Their muscles were atrophy. They'll develop beard sores. And what might have started is I can get up whenever I want to. Becomes, I just cannot seem to move. See, it's not that one is right and one is wrong, but it's knowing what is the right stage for you. Are you healing or are you helping? There are times in life to pause and to take some big breaths in. Say, God, I just need to focus on me and you and getting this right, that I am doing the right thing for the right reason. That is so important. Maybe you've been puffing, you've just been breathing out a whole lot and you need to stop, to pause, to take some breaths in. But what are you resting for? Because if we are taking breaths in, there must become a point if we are to maintain a health, if we are to stay the way that God has made us, that that breathing in then turns into breathing out. That there is a balance that is a breathe in and a breathe out. I'll finish with, with this thought. What if today... Jesus met you right here at Equipper's Church. I mean, I, I hope that your experience is that Jesus meets you, you know, every Sunday right here at Equipper's Church. But I mean, if he practically walked in, like physically, if Jesus walked in embodied in flesh, and he said to us, hey, follow me, and he led us out those doors, and we walked with him, where, where would he go? You know, I I imagine that there would be occasions where it'd take us for a a nice walk, you know, maybe through Hagley Park or up to the top of the Port Hills, just enjoying each other's company, just, just resting, just marveling at the beauty of the world. But I also imagine that those occasions would be at least equally balanced by trips to the parts of town that you'd rather drive around to the house of the friend that you've been avoiding or on cap visits to those trapped in poverty or to the living room of the single mother who's working multiple jobs or to the table of the hungry child or or to the teenager who's out of options without a single person to look up to. I mean, he did take his disciples to leper colonies and prostitution hubs and tax collector dinner parties and Gentile and Samaritan cities that they were told to avoid. And to me, that sounds kind of like the ancient equivalent of the impoverished and the refugee and the opposite side of the socio-political spectrum. And so, our focus over the next month is to put action into your hands. By no means are we suggesting that you should be limited to only what we are doing, but, but for those of us who have been holding our breath, we're wanting to give some CPR to rebalance the whatever is going on, to to force some breath into some lungs or to get you to start to breathe out again. But are you living a life of prayer? And only you know this. It's not a hey, you have to, but we're saying this is what God has made us for. This is a healthy way to live. This is a way of life. Are you breathing in? Are you inhaling? And are you living a life of action? Are you breathing out? Is there a balance in your life? And I wanna say as a church, we are by no means yet, yet there, but we're starting. We want to be a house of prayer for all nations. And hopefully over the last couple of months, you've embraced prayer in a new way. And if you haven't yet, now is a great time to start. John, I don't know where to start. Just start where you are. Just pray what you got. Maybe it's as simple as setting aside five minutes a day to pray. I don't know what to say. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. My Father in heaven, you are holy. Thank you that you would love me, that you would relate to me. Would your kingdom come on earth here as in heaven? God, things are not as they should be, but help me to be a part of making them right. God, give us today, give me today our daily bread. God, thank you that I can rely on you, that I can trust in you. Forgive us our trespasses. God, there are things that I do wrong all the time, but thank you that you don't see me as my wrong, You love me and help me to forgive others who trespass against me. God, there are people who hurt me. But unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that it hurts someone else. So God, I'm not saying it was right what happened, but I'm letting go of it so that it doesn't own me anymore. Maybe it's as simple as as downloading the app that we've been talking about, Lectio 365, going through the devotions that that takes you through what does it look like for you to embrace prayer in a new way? Just to take one step forward. And then over the next month to embrace action. Again, if you're looking for a place to start, chat with with Nat about Christians Against Poverty because our intent is to use Christians Against Poverty as a catalyst to bring intention to to equip his care, which is the loose framework that, that we're using to define all that we do outside of these four walls to bless our community. Here's how the credits roll on our story of the fig tree. Matthew 11, Mark 11, 19 to 21. So the band joined me. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So there's that fig tree again. Remember, we're told in that opening scene of the story and his disciples heard him say it. See, they knew that Jesus was illustrating a point that he was embodying an illustration. They just didn't know what the point was yet. And the point was that Jesus was foreshadowing in the opening scene as he goes to transform the temple. The point that he was foreshadowing is revealed in the closing scene. As Jesus leaves the temple, he has disrupted setting in motion actions that will transform all temples. See, today I started with the question, what do we do with our prayers? The answer is we embody them. We live them out. It's not about earning love or about trying to make it happen on our own, but it's also not about treating God as some sort of divine Santa, just sitting back and and lobbing demands. It's about doing what we can and praying God does what we can't. See, because Jesus suggests in his interaction with this fig tree that prayer without action is dead. That just like the tree, it may look alive with sap flowing through its, its veins and, and uh, branches and covered in green leaves, but there's no fruit hanging on the trees. There's no fruit on those branches. And Jesus, when looking at a full green leaf tree with no fruit, says that tree might as well be old and rotting with it. And so Jesus as an illustration that shows what the tree really is. This tree looks nice. It's pretty, but it's not blessing anyone. It's not helping. It's pretty for the sake of being pretty, and so it may as well be with it. And it challenges me. It challenges me to ask, how can we be the kinds of people who know what it means to keep prayer at the center of our action and action at the center of our prayer? To be the type of people who inhale and exhale, that we might be a fruit that we might be a house of prayer for all nations church would you stand to your feet with me i want to finish in prayer if you bow your heads if you close your eyes jesus today we we thank you that you invite us you invite us to bring something of heaven to earth with you, that you love us so much that you would want us involved, that we're not impressing you, that you love us no matter what, but that we can be a part of something beautiful with you. Why don't you just pause for a moment? And why don't you, why don't you let God bring to mind something that is in your hand? It doesn't mean to be big. Maybe it's simply talking to Nat, helping with cap once a month, once a term. Maybe it's, it's making meals for the church freezer to be given to people in need. Maybe it's helping out with youth on a Friday and maybe it's sponsoring a, a youth to get to shout. Maybe it's a workmate who needs just some of your time and some of your love. Come on, wherever we're at, there is an action in our hand, a small thing that we can do to bring something of heaven to earth here and now. Just take a second to bring that to your mind. Whatever it might be, would you ask God to help you to walk into it? That God would start something in us that we might be a house of prayer for all nations. That we might see what is wrong. And from our intimacy with God, knowing that we are loved, be able to step out and say, God, we can be a part of making that right. I'm gonna do what I can. and Pray that you do what I can. God, we don't want to be a tree full of leaves without fruit. Would you help us to see where we can join our prayer to action? Not action on its own, not prayer on its own. But as you showed, as you lived out, that balance between the two. In Jesus' name, amen. In a minute, the, the band are going to lead us out in a song. But, but just before they do, I want to remind you, and I promise I'm done, but Jesus came to reform the temple because everyone is welcome. We're not welcome once we sort it out. We're not welcome once we get it all kind of in the right way. It's God's welcome that heals us, not the other way around. We are not waiting to be welcomed once we are healed, once we've got it together. We are welcomed as we are. You might stand here and think, oh, John, you don't understand. I'm a broken person. What you don't realize is you are simply surrounded by broken people, that God meets all of us in our brokenness. We're just broken in different ways, that he would love all of us as we are, but he would love us so much that he does not leave us there, that everyone is welcome, but no one is forced. That his love, his salvation is a gift. You don't have to do anything, but Jesus simply stands at the door of our heart and knocks. And so one last time, his head's bowed, his eyes are closed. I'm not here today saying try harder, work harder, be a better person. I'm saying as we partner with God, as we rely on him, something in us can be changed. That we can do what we can but we can do it in a good way, a right way, a loving way, and God can do the rest, that we can have that faith. But maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I don't know if I can trust God to be God because if I'm honest, I'm God in my life. Friend, I wanna let you know that you don't have to leave the same way that you came in. If you're the only one who, who determines your own value, if you're the one who keeps the stars in your own night sky, you don't have to leave in that same place today. Jesus has already come for you that you may know intimacy with God, that you may trust Him as God. And so in this moment, His heads about, bowed, as eyes are closed, I'd love to create a moment in which you can simply choose to trust Him either for the first time or as a recommitment. And this prayer isn't magical, but it's the start of an important decision or returning to an important decision. To say, Jesus, I trust you as my God. This cannot be me. Only in you do I know that I'm loved. Only in you do I find value. Only in you does life have meaning. Because you made me. So if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, just as heads about his as eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with, but also so that you know, hey, that there wasn't a moment where I just repeated words because people were repeated words. That was a decision that I made. That you can look back and say, that was the day that I chose to start trusting Jesus. And so if I chose that day, I can walk out this trust. That you can, as Britt said, remember the redemption. Maybe for you today, you're like, I don't know if I can remember that today can be the day that you can look back on and say, that was the day that God met me in my brokenness, in my hurt, in everyone else, and even myself telling me that I was not allowed into the temple. Jesus didn't just let me into the temple. He came to my house and he sat at my table and he said, everyone else says that you are not good enough. Everyone else says that you are not welcome, but I come to you when no one would expect me to because I love you and I say that you are immeasurably valuable. So today, if you would like to receive that love, just heads about his eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand in three, two, one. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand up nice and high and let me know. It's just you and God, heads about, eyes are closed. Awesome, thank you. just want to give us a moment longer. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand and let me know. There's no pressure, but I don't want you to leave feeling like, oh man, there was something that I wanted to do, but I missed out. One last time, if that's you, just let me know. Importantly, would you let yourself know? Amazing. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today I choose to trust you. Thank you that you would come for me. That you would love me. Today I choose to follow you. Be my Lord. Be my God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.